Back to the Cold War, episode 147. Yes. Or the Juju Train, as I like to think of it. The Juju Train continues. Woo-hoo! Juju! <laughs> I just got that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't in a YouTube. Um, at the end of episode 146, mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, the Peel Commission, yeah. uh, how 36, 37, British had a commission, um, the uh, Lord Peel went down, heard all sides of the argument except the Arabs because, <laughs> quite frankly, who gives a fuck, right. and uh, decided that they were going to partition uh, Israel or Palestine, right. give some of it to the Jews, one-fifth of it to the Jews, uh, give the rest of it uh, to the Arabs oh. except for That'll, the best bits, right. which... They keep for themselves. Yeah. Because, uh, listen, if there's one thing that the British are really good at, it's uh, telling darkies how it's going to be. And that's what they were doing here. Now, we also said that part of the Peel Commission's report was the Jews would be, sorry, the Arabs who lived on the land that was going to go to the Jews would be paid, compensated. Not. Not not much. Like you get you get a chicken and an orange to leave your right. ancestral home right. of, of a thousand years. They would be compensated for the move. Right. They'd have to be moved off their land, compensated. Quick smart. Uh, and if they argued, they'd just be, you know, do moved I, at the point of a, ba- a bayonet. Do I still get the chicken? Um, <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah, so we can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is you get a chicken. Fuck, I'd hate to see the hard way. Well, I keep the chicken. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. And uh, when I say, you know, we're going to move you at the the point of uh, 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 serrated uh, steel. Yeah, at the point of a <laughs> what do you call those things? The pointy bits on the end of a gun. Boing- Bayonet? Bayonet, Bayonet. yes. Yes. Um, I was going to call it the... uh, The Jew hammer. (laughs) Either way. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, now the idea of moving the Arabs en masse off the land, of course, was an appeal commission idea. As I think you mentioned in the last episode, this had been part of a secret Zionist plan from the very beginning, going right back to Theodore Herzl. Yes. Day Um, one. Day one, yeah. literally late 19th century. That's how far back the idea was. Listen, we, if we want to take this land, obviously publicly we're saying no one lives on it, but privately we know a lot of people live <laughs> right. on it and they're not going to want to move yeah. and they're probably going to refuse to move, so we'll need to f- figure out a way to get an army to move them off. Now, we don't have an army yet, right. but uh, one day we'll either have our own or we'll find another 
army, someone else's yes, army that, that we could use. We were convinced yes. to do our bidding. Yeah. And which they'd now achieved yeah. by 1937. And, and and this wasn't this wasn't cruel or inhumane as far as the Jews were concerned because the idea is is very basically simple. If we go into a place that's mostly populated with Arabs, we carve out a chunk of land or Britain carves out a chunk of land for us. Clearly we're going to need a lot if not all of the Arabs moved off of our new land because it has to be a Jewish majority country or the or it's either going to fall apart or there might very quickly be civil war so it's it's a very practical measure that that doesn't mean it's not cruel but it is a very practical thing if you're a zionist and you want this to work and now let's remember of course that the the palestinian arabs didn't want to evacuate the lands of their ancestors and again i, I made this point in the last show and i'll make it again i'll keep making yeah. it the palestinian arabs and the jews have the same ancestors in terms of you know, the, the Middle Eastern component tree right. anyway of their DNA. They have the same ancestors. They all worship the same God. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's... It may come as a surprise to people out there, but the, <laughs> the Jews, the Christians and the Muslims... It doesn't sound right. ...all worship the yeah. same guy. So when the Jews say, well, uh, God promised it to us, he promised it to the Arabs as well. Yeah. Because it's the same God and you're the same fucking people. But that was 2,000 years ago. That was 2,000 years ago. Islam, you know, from from the Muslim perspective, Islam is Judaism 2.0. Right. It's Yahweh came to Muhammad and said, look, uh, this is what the Christians believe too. The Christians think that Christianity is Judaism 2.0. The Muslims think that Islam is Judaism 2.0. Yahweh came to them and said, listen, uh, kind of fucked it up with the original guys. Right. Uh, I'm going to make some tweaks. Right. Tweaks. Right. Yeah. Tweaks. Um, you know, we're going to pivot is what we call it in the startup industry. You know, we, we were going to be a podcast company. But. Didn't work, didn't work out. Right. Now we're Twitter. You know, that's where Twitter came right. from. So it's the same sort of, you know, Twitter is to podcast networks mm-hmm. what Jews what, what Muslims are to Jews basically they are the Twitter I'm uncomfortable of of the Jews right right but yeah, the, yeah. this was something from day one they knew reboot reboot there we go mm. they mm-hmm. knew this was going to have to happen like you said either and, voluntarily or not but it needs to happen now uh Israel Zangville, a British author who was at the forefront of cultural Zionism during the 19th century and a good friend of Theodore Herzl, Mm -hmm. declared in April of 1905, we must be prepared either to drive out by the sword the tribes in possession as our forefathers did or to grapple with the problem of a large alien population. Right. Fourteen years later, in 1919, he wrote, We cannot allow the Arabs to block so valuable a piece of historic reconstruction, and therefore we must gently persuade them to trek, not Star Trek (laughs) and not the new series Picard, which takes place when Jean-Luc is 94 years old. Damn. Not that one. Right. But uh, the the old-fashioned Arab desert trek. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's no, wrong. No. That's what's it's a well, that's what's the Star Trek theme. 
that was no that's days of our lives what's the star trek <laughs> theme oh god i got star wars in my head now because it is yeah uh yeah anyway anyway let me get back to zangville after all yeah they have all Arabia with its million square miles. There is no particular reason for the Arabs to cling to these few kilometres. To fold their tents and silently steal away is their proverbial habit. Let them exemplify it now. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go back to my original analogy. If I go into your house and I barricade myself in your bathroom... Um, your wife's dildo is in there. Your best shaving cream is in there. And I'm going to look, look, quit yelling at me. You've got the rest of the house. I just need and I just want and I will just defend this small section. Why are you yelling at me? It's the same thing. Yeah, it's like uh, the analogy I like to use is like if the Zionists had gone to the U.S. and said, listen, <laughs> we're just going to take yeah. California. That's it. You can have the rest. Look at, that. Look at all you, that. It's yours. You can have the rest. Yeah. In fact, and this is basically what the um, the, the uh, Americans did to the Native Americans, oh, yes. right? The, oh, yes. White Americans. Listen, we're just going to take this little bit of your land. You can go over here. Right. Actually, and we are never going to want that <laughs> bit of land. And then six months later, it's like, okay, look, okay. So we were, we fucked up. We, we now want that bit of land. But bunch of immigrants. Here's the, yeah. here's the good news. Right. If you just move over there, we're never no, going to want done. that bit of land. You'll never see me again. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I started reading The People's History of the United States. You mentioned it a month oh, or two ago. Great book. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's like, and they was talking about when the colonists came over and said, look, we're going to take this. So if you go peacefully, all good. If you don't, we're going to have to make you. And if, if you make us make you, there's going to be war, but if you go peacefully, we'll never bother you again. So it was like literally coming into your house and saying, look, we could do this the easy way or the hard way, but I'm taking a part of what you consider to be yours. And I've got guts. And if you, if you make us make yeah, you, yeah. we will call you terrorists. Right. And we won't stop harassing you. That's what they said. Yeah. God. <laughs> we'll, we'll make movies with John Wayne going, God, God damn, Carnarvon, Indian engines. We will demonize you for making us make you. Yeah. Making us kill you so we can steal your shit. You made us. You made me kill you. you. You're an extremist. I had to kill you to get you to calm down. That's how extreme you are. (laughs) Fuck. Anyway. Now, by the way, this guy, Israel Zangville, the British guy, uh, died in 1926, eventually came to believe that Palestine was the wrong place. He was a supporter of the Uganda movement. Now, there were people living in Uganda as well. It was right. just a different bunch of darkies, you know? It's like, oh, if anything, we they were the darker. bunch of darkies. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and that's the darker the better. If you <laughs> yeah, want to oppress someone, <laughs> that's the British model. Yeah, like, the British model, the darker the better. Again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, the dark, <laughs> white, we know that the whiter you are, the closer you are to God. Right, who's white? And the darker you are, right. the furthest away you are from God. So it's, you know... It's, 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 we're, we're bringing good, good godly whiteness right. to the darkies. Yeah. And I'm willing to share I'm that not with even, your wife. I'm not even kidding. Oh, right. This is this. I'm not even okay. kidding. This is this was colonial, you know, mainstream viewpoints in the 
17th, 18th, 19th, uh, 20th century, right? The darker you were, the more you were cursed. Yes. The curse of ham. Yes. As the um, Mormons call it. You know about the curse of I've ham? I've heard of that. Um, it's in it's in uh, the book of Genesis, but the Mormons love it. Basically, <laughs> the, the story is that... Uh, uh, Noah got drunk. Sure. Um, and his son Ham, right, named after his favorite pig, <laughs> saw his father naked. Oh, I don't like where this is going. And because Ham saw his father naked, right, Yahweh decided to punish him. The son with black skin. Right. Yeah, the sun. Right. With black skin and slavery. Damn! What about mm. a, a do-over or what, three strikes or God just what, went for it? Noah got drunk, <laughs> got his kid off so he could have, you know, probably sex with his daughters. Right. Ham uh, saw him and got punished. Fuck. For that. Right. Uh, and Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered with his, within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father right. and told his two brethren without. Oh, and Shem and Japheth right. took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Ah. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. That... It's fucked up six ways from Sunday. It really is. <laughs> no kidding. Um, so there you go. Okay. So, and the Mormons, the Mormons used this up until like 1977 or 78 mm. to justify why African-Americans couldn't get the priesthood Damn. because they had been, because of, you know, they were black. Right. And they were black because they were being punished by God. Um, That's extreme. For, you know. So the wider you are, the not better you are, the closer you are to right. fucking God's chosen people. Anywho. Oh, my God. So yeah. the dumb, it burns. Um, so anyway, yes. the Peel Commission promised to give the Zionists what they wanted, a land without any Arabs. And the Jews were very, very happy, but they couldn't show that in public. But in private, people like Ben Gurion knew that the Arabs yeah. weren't going to weren't going to take take this well. Yeah. Um, he knew it would come down to force, and the force would probably have to come from the Jews. In his diary around about this time, he wrote, "If we have to use force, we shall use it without hesitation, but only if we have no choice." See. You 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 brought this yes, on yourself. He's the you victim. made me do this. The Jews are the victims. Yeah. You're making me beat you until you leave. It's not me. It's your yeah. radicalism. Yeah. Fuck God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's what my father used to say when he would yeah. beat me you as a child. You made me by being so bad. Yeah. You brought this. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. You brought this upon yourself yeah. for missing that patch of grass <laughs> when you were doing the mowing at 
seven years of age because I was drunk. Jesus. Um, and you had to mow the lawn and you missed a bit and so I'm going to beat you black and blue. Right. You made me do this. Right. <clears throat> basically, the Jews are just, you know, drunk, drunk fathers, fathers. Who are naked basically. in a tent. Drunk, drunk, <laughs> drunk and Scottish fathers. <laughs> Hey, Cameron! <laughs> What's this, laddie? Get my belt! God. Oh, my God. So... You know how it goes. You, you, you can't tell me that the Jews... I mean, they know the British aren't either, either going to want to do it because we were saying in a previous episode that the British were like, you know, once the British are there and they kind of see the lay of the land, they're like, they're semi-pro-Arab. It's like, yeah, Arabs are getting fucked over by the Jews. And so the last thing they're going to want to have to do is hurt the Arabs who they sympathize with, forcing them off their lands. And like you said, the Jews are more than willing to get this done. Because if it's a necessary step, we get a state. Now, of course, the Arabs were furious over the Peel Commission's recommendations, and the British District Commissioner reported that the Arab population of Galilee should ever be reconciled to the scheme is clearly too much to hope. Christians, Muslims, Fellahin and landowners are probably more united in their rejection of the proposal than they have ever been before. Their common feeling is that they have been betrayed and that they will be forced to leave their lands and perish in some unknown desert. Jesus. Yeah. Fair enough, too. Now, yeah. both both sides of the uh, Arab revolt, the AHC and the Nashashibis, opposed the recommendations of the Peel Commission. Yes. The Palestinians asserted that the scheme gave the Jews the best land mm-hmm. and seven-eighths of the Arab citrus groves. Ooh. So that's that's important that's to understand. Like citrus, as we explained way back in the early episodes, yeah. was one of the main economic uh, sources, one of the main sources of, of income and prosperity in Palestine in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century, and uh, the Peel Commission's basically giving it to the Jews. Yeah, this is insane. Yeah, and, and and I'm not sure if you just if you just covered this in your quote a second ago. It was the Palestinians who were saying openly what the Jews would dare not say publicly. You know, the Jews are going to come in here. They're going to get some land. They're going to bring in immigrants. They're going to swell up their numbers, and they're just going to take more land. They're going to demand more, saying that they need it. It's an emergency or, or it's a crisis or whatever. We know what they're trying to do, but like you said earlier, the Jews are just like, no, no, we didn't, we didn't mean for any of this to happen. We're just looking for a home that the British promised us. This is all bullshit, and the Arabs have the are angry enough to say everything out to everybody's face. Not that it's going to make a difference. So while the Pill Commission had been going on, the revolt had uh, taken a time out, of course. Yes. Once the recommendations of the Pill Commission come out, September 37, it picks back up again. The Arabs know that they're getting fucked yes. and the British haven't even used any lube. <laughs> Didn't even take them out to dinner first. <laughs> Nothing. Not even a happy meal. S- Yeah. Now, Arabs who spoke out against the revolt were now assassinated by other Arabs. Fuck. And we're going to see more of this. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how intense this is at this point. And then a guy called Lewis Andrews, who was the acting district commissioner of the Galilee region, Mm -hmm. was assassinated in Nazareth by Arab um, gunmen. gunmen. Now... 
Here's a thing you may not know about Lewis mm. Andrews. He was uh, he was an Aussie. Really? Yeah, he was from Sydney. Right. Uh, had fought in World War One with the Australian Imperial Forces. Yeah. They were not under the direct command of Darth Vader, but they were one of the affiliated Imperial (laughs) units. They get to wear all black. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he he then went on to become the British District Commissioner for the Galilee region. So uh, they were... He, uh, on on 26th of September 1937, he and uh, the Assistant District Commissioner, a guy called... uh, Perry Gordon and Andrew's bodyguard, who was a British police constable, were returning after attending a church service at the Anglican Church in Nazareth when they were gunned down by four masked militant followers of Is Adin al Qassam. And Andrew's died on the spot. And uh, I think the bodyguard later died in hospital. This we mentioned Al Qassam earlier. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that was killed by the British. He was like a rebel leader, and they they sort of started a I don't know his death. He became a bit of a martyr. Right. And, and let me just set the scene here because we were saying earlier that obviously the uh, the commission comes out with its report, and for the Arabs to be pissed before this, they were just pissed. In general, because they knew that the Jews were going to come in and take the land. But now we've got something very specific to be pissed about, the partition and the forced relocation. So they're going to fight even harder for this. And if you remember from the last episode, we were saying that the British military was upset when they were told to to uh, to disengage because the, the situation was calming down. Well, what happened was the basic structure of the rebellion, the various communications and the little command structures and where they were hiding weapons and all that stuff, all that stuff's still in place. And so when this guy is killed, which is going to spark a new revolt, new violence, it's not like the Arabs have to start over. They're ready to go. And if anything, during the Peel Commission, they've been rearming, bringing more guns in. So when they start up, they're going to be able to hit the ground running. And again, the British are going to have to deal with this when they almost had their foots on their throat before, but now they have to start up all over again. Now, the AHC, the Hosseini Arab High Commission, uh, publicly condemned the assassination Mm. of Andrews and called for restraint. But then the British turned around and made the AHC illegal. Oh, warrants warrants were issued for the arrest of all AHC members. Uh, Al Hosseini was dismissed from the presidency of the SMC, the Supreme Muslim Council. Right. Nearly 200 prominent Palestinians were arrested and deported to the Seychelles, right. which Lonely Planet describes as a fabled paradise whose islands lie scattered across the Indian Ocean. Spellbinding beaches are the main attraction. And what beaches? Exquisite ribbons of sand lapped by turquoise waters and backed by lush hills, palm trees and Dali-esque boulders. Beyond the beach, diving and snorkelling are brilliant in the warm waters amid abundant marine life, while few places on the planet do oceanside luxury quite like the Seychelles. Now say what you want about the British. They know how to treat a prisoner. But if you're going to get deported... That's the, that's the place. You want, to get de- yeah. you want to get deported by the British. Yeah. I want you to know, go snorkeling. In, 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 in 1778, 
they had this genius idea of taking a whole bunch of prisoners that were basically dying on rotting hulks right. in, in, off, in the Thames and go, what are we going to do with all of our prisoners? I know, let's send them to Australia. I've heard it's fucking paradise down there. <laughs> How to fix them. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> until until you know it all burnt down right. last month, but before, <laughs> before that, that became nah. like Mad Max wasteland. Right. But yeah, God. paradise. Let's send them to paradise. We know how to. I see. I see. <laughs> I say, your highness, I have a wonderful idea of what to do with the scummy prisoners. And what is that? Let's send them to paradise. Ho ho ho! That'll teach them. <laughs> Jolly good. So they get Surely. they get to sit there. They're not working. They're not allowed to leave. And I'm sure the British, to some degree, probably fed them and took care of them. So life is pretty. They go from a terrorist to uh, an islander. Not bad. Not bad. The British went back to pick him up a year later, and so they came in. They're like, "Hey, what's up, man?" <laughs> they're listening to reggae. They're fishing. The British are like, "You can come back to Palestine now." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. I'm a good brother. here, man. Got myself a little oh. farm. Got a woman. Got my boat. I'm chilling, man. One love, one, one heart. Let's give together and feel alright. Take some ganja, man. Take some ganja. You go away now. You, you're harshing my buzz. Go on, man. Yeah. But the point is they're no longer there to organize or try to yeah. lead this rebellion. There, there, were, there were Palestinian Arabs who were committing acts of, you know, t- terrorism, quote-unquote terrorism, <laughs> slash freedom, freedom fighting, <laughs> just so they could get deported Take me. Take to me. the Seychelles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. But what about? Oh, look, I, you yeah. know, you only, you only, you only blew up a bus that killed some kids. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's not bad that's enough not for us to send right. you to send you to the Seychelles. Yeah. You have to do something much, much worse for us to send you to paradise. <laughs> uh, you got to earn that shit. You know, you know, rape some people before right. you kill or them. Goats. I think maybe that's Whatever. probably that's a new benchmark. Right. You know? Yeah. What about Al Husani? What happens to him? Well, he fled in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as um... <laughs> wasn't it Robin Hood on the Renaissance show, the former Pope? Yeah. That was uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. He fled in disguise. There's a number of different stories about the disguise that he wore, but he fled in disguise to Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Oh, he fucked up there. So yeah. So, like, the yes, the leadership now of the AHC is being run out of town. Right. After Al-Husseini left, a group of guerrilla leaders, perhaps on his orders, mm-hmm. launched a new wave of terror attacks. Oh. Most of them happened in rural areas, and the rebel commanders leading these attacks were rural villages or Bedouin. Yeah. And the number of... The number of active participants in the rebellion grew from it's estimated around one to three thousand in nineteen thirty six and early thirty seven mm-hmm. to between two and a half to seven thousand seven and a half thousand even in nineteen thirty eight right and on top of that another six to fifteen thousand part timers so the Peel Commission actually Thanks. threw instead of instead of <laughs> recognizing as it was supposed to right. do the the reasons the valid reasons for the revolt. It basically just said, "Yeah, fuck it. Right. You know, let's uh, fuck fuck these Arabs." 
and it threw fuel on the fire oh, yes. of the revolt. So the numbers doubled or, or trebled even. Yeah. And they, it said that during 1938 there were hundreds mm. of rebel bands, most of them small, sort of 8 to 15 guys, most of them part-time. It's just, you know, <laughs> a, you know a fun thing to right. do. You'd finish Friday night, harvesting the yeah. fields. Yeah, knock back a couple of... Go back and have a lager, <laughs> and then you would, and then you'd go and uh, do a little bit of terror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit of terror. Come home, uh, wash the blood off you, and go to bed. Yeah, you know, just 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 a way to to you know get just you know get relax. it out, just, just <clears throat> get it out of your system. Either masturbate yeah. or go kill somebody. So so this all starts up in uh, September of 1938. As you can imagine, by late 1938, the economy is hurting. In fact, some of the rebel leaders supposedly, I, I don't know about this, are telling Jewish officials that they don't want any more disturbances. Uh, they don't want to be moved off their land either, but they don't want any more fighting. They just want to go back to the way things were, but the Peel Commission's report has got them shit scared and at least that you know they're willing to fight as opposed to just giving up and being pushed off their land overall in 1937 the rebels launched 438 attacks 109 of them were against the british police and military 143 against jewish settlements and 109 against arab houses Uh, so attack yeah well attacking their own people who were, I guess, British or Jewish sympathisers ah, or collaborators. Right. You know? Yeah, or spying for them or whatever, yeah. Altogether, though, like the death toll, the casualty in death toll doesn't seem that high. 97 people killed, 149 wounded out of 438 attacks. Now, that says to me that you're either not very good at terrorism. Well... <laughs> Maybe. I'm doing the best I can. Maybe. Yeah. Some of those attacks were like throwing mud right. pies at uh, buildings or something. It's an attack, technically. It is. Listen, we know. Right. We yeah, know. We, 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 it's early days. We, 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 we're still learning this. Yeah. You know, we, we're doing the best we can do with limited resources. Don't stop making right. fun. Okay. Yeah. Or, or maybe uh, they were deliberately not trying to uh. kill or harm people, many people, maybe some of the attacks were just <clears throat> empty right. uh, sites, right. you know. Yeah, they were just trying to say, listen, we could have killed you, but we chose not right. to. We picked our timing well. I don't know. Either they were really just really, really bad at it or they were trying not to yeah. kill uh, as many people as possible. But the fighting got worse during 1938, dragged on until <sighs> sort of the middle of 1939. Damn. Now, meanwhile, a low-key civil war broke out between the Nashashibis and the Husseinis, the two major Arab factions fighting for control of the Arab community. Yeah, as far as I remember, the Husseini, and this is something that is going back a, a couple of episodes, they've been for years now trying to get complete control, political control, and to get all the Arabs to follow them and to not follow the um, the opposition party. So again, while this fighting is going on, they're attacking them. If you're seen as anybody who's uh, sympathetic to the opposition, they'll come after you. They'll kill you. And so, like you said, during this during this revolt, there's a mini civil war, which, as you can imagine, is not going to help that side win against the British or the Jews. They're fighting amongst themselves. It's it's just complete chaos, and you can only imagine what that's doing to the economy. The Husseinis would 
kill uh, or torture any Arabs who sold land to Jews, any informers, and any Nashashibi supporters. Now, some people that they captured were placed in pits with snakes and scorpions. Nope. I've learned my lesson. Others others were just whipped and flogged. The dead were left in the streets for days because their families were too scared to remove their bodies and, and have them buried properly in case the, you know, they got more of it uh, as there was a backlash against them as well. So this is all going on. And on top of that, the British now have to deal with Jewish terrorism. Finally, this, this whole idea of have a lager, uh, a beer, and then have a lager restraint. Um, <clears throat> oh, the the official Jewish policy collapses, right. and the official Zionist policy moves from defence to attack. As we said Damn. earlier, the you know the, privately the Jewish Zionist leaders like Ben Gurion mm-hmm. said that uh, you know if this is going to happen, it's going to have to happen by force, and by force I mean us. We're going to have to be in command of this because the British are going to pussyfoot around too much. Yeah, Yeah. But that still, it still struck me as far as how intensely the, um, the Irgun took it. I mean, they didn't just go to a more proactive, um, attacking style. They actually started gunning for, for innocent civilians. Well, if you're going to create terror, you gotta, you gotta create terror. Yeah. So there was an there was a an upsurge of Arab terrorism in October of 1937, mm. which then triggered a wave of Jewish terrorism in retaliation, uh, bombings against Arab crowds and buses, um, you know, uh, shopping districts, yeah. movie theaters, bus stations, public buildings. It just started right. uh, blowing up everywhere. Uh, uh, basically, you know, trying to fight fire with fire, I guess. An eye for an eye yeah. is an old biblical thing. Like, okay, you, you, you kill ours, we kill yours. And again, still going on to this very yes. day. You, they say, oh, why did, why did you bomb Gaza? Well, they bombed right. us. You say to the, uh, the uh, Arabs in the Gaza Strip, why did you bomb them? Well, they bombed us and they took our land. And it's just, it's this tit for tat that's been going on now since... Yeah. You know, 1937. Well, I, I guess if you zoom out a little bit, so not only are the Arabs fighting the British and the Jews, the Jews are now um, fighting back more proactively. The Arabs are fighting each other. But now you have this whole other layer of just leaving bombs in large milk cans, uh, TNT and shrapnel in an Arab market. I mean, now besides the the legit, well, I don't know what to call it, legitimate fighting that's going on in this revolt, now you've just got dozens if not hundreds of... Um, uh, Innocent civilians just being blown up. I mean, it's truly got to be chaos, and the British have got to be going, what in the fuck do we do now? Yeah, that particular incident, July 6, 1938, uh, an Ergun operative dressed as an Arab placed two large milk cans filled with TNT and shrapnel <clears throat> in the Arab market in downtown Haifa. Right. Uh, the explosions killed 21 and wounded 52. Then about a week later, another bomb killed 10 Arabs and wounded more than 30. <sighs> 
in uh, a part of Jerusalem's old city. Then a second bomb in the same Haifa market, this time disguised as a large can of sour cucumbers Mm. on July 25th, killed at least 39 Arabs and injured 70. On August 26th, the bomb in Jaffa's uh, vegetable market killed 24 Arabs and wounded 39. So lots of lots of these sort of terrorist bombings in markets, places like that, which not only sows terror, uh, but it also disrupts the economy. Yeah. Okay. Well, people aren't going to go to the markets uh, then if they think a bomb could go off, and that has a significant impact on the the local economy. In early 1939, Ben on Ben Gurion's orders, a guy called Itzhak Sadeh a Polish Jew mm. who had fought for the Imperial Russian Army in World War One and was decorated for bravery, set up three very, very secret terrorist squads known as the Poom, the Special Operations. Right. And their basic job was to do retaliatory strikes against... Arab villages and Arab terrorists and uh, killing informers and that kind of stuff. And in 1937, a couple of years earlier, Sadeh had also founded something called the FOSH. The uh, basically, you know, it's an abbreviation for Plugos Sadeh, basically meant the, the field companies. Oh. Uh, basically, the commando arm of the Haganah. It was an elite Jewish strike force. Yeah. No, I, I, I was wondering about that, and, and it makes sense. And I was wondering why maybe someone didn't come up with this earlier, but to have a companies of men who are trained to quickly respond uh, to, I guess, uh, threats that are going on. You can go and you can go help people. But what I found interesting was, because this is more of a, a sign of things to come, this, this, uh, these companies of trained people, which, which gets going in the spring of 1938, they, they're under the command of the Haganah district commanders, not the individual cities. So this is going to be highly organized. It's going to have a lot of structure to it. And when you have something like that, especially when you have highly trained men, your, your ability to inflict punishment on your enemy is going to be pretty impressive because you, you can, uh, you can dial it up, dial it down. You can respond to almost anything very quickly. And the Haganah are getting very good at this. Yeah, and this is, of course, a new thing for the Jews, as we've explained mm. before. I mean, the, the Jews have never really had an opportunity to build offensive yes. military capabilities before. And this is now they've got a, a fucking ton of them. They've got Ergun, they've got Fosh, they've got Pum. They're right. like rabbits. Right. They're springing up it's like these a country. different things. Yeah. Now, one of now apparently there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that these uh, Jewish retaliations stopped Arab terrorism. In fact, they did the opposite. They caused more moderate Arabs yeah. to join I can see that. the revolt. Right? How could it not? Um, it, yeah. Well, exactly. And you know, Ben Gurion had always said uh, they they're trying to provoke us, and now they've succeeded. And what that's done is probably exactly what the uh, one of the things that the Arabs wanted to accomplish is now it drove it drove the Arabs who didn't want to get involved right. because they just wanted to tend to their farms or whatever yeah. um, it's driving more and more of them you know it's that's you know what we've been saying for years about America drone striking places in the Middle East uh, it's creating say, oh we had, yeah yeah we had to we had to kill a terrorist but in doing so you create 10 more terrorists mm-hmm. you know 
Now, one of the main influences in changing the Jewish policy from defence to attack was a Scotsman. <laughs> Captain Charles Ordwin, get at your service. <laughs> yeah, he was in a... Don't worry, Miss, don't worry, Miss Moneypenny. This should pose no significant problem. Don't feel a thing. Yeah, he was an intelligence officer with the British 5th Division. And I guess he was, how should we put this, passionately, passionately on the Zionist side. They called him, his code, his code name was their friend or the friend. He was really into this and he wanted to help these people in any way he could in military terms. Yeah, he, he was a supporter of Zionism, um, what they call a Christian philo-Zionist. And he apparently had plans to one day sure. lead an apocalyptic Jewish army. What the fuck? Is that where you just go and well, wipe out all your enemies? Just boom. Done, son. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the apocalypse. You know, when Jesus comes back. Oh, he's one of those. Uh, okay. He's you know, like, uh, Jesus, is gonna, the first thing he's going to do is, listen, I need, uh, I, I need some guys <laughs> that can go and uh, kill all the people who don't right. worship me. Sounds right. Uh, and he'd be like, oh, 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 pick oh me, me, pick oh. me, pick me. Okay, the new laddie, <laughs> I'm your man for the job. Now, I, I read up on Wingate. Um, Jesus Christ, what a guy. Yeah. Um, apparently uh, was known for wearing an alarm clock around his wrist that would just go off at random times and no one really knew why. <laughs> Time to kill some non-believers. <laughs> Uh, he he kept a string of raw onions and garlic around his neck. Oh, vampires! Yeah, yeah. and yeah, <laughs> and would no, but he would occasionally bite into the garlic and the vampire, uh, the garlic and the onions, <laughs> right? And said it was to ward off mosquitoes, ah. which are tiny little vampires. Yes, right. That's true. He often walked around naked. <laughs> Um, Look at me. His, Look his, at it. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, God just made your skin black. See, that's what happens when you look at a naked gotcha. man. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are now my slave. In uh, Hey, don't believe me. It's in the fucking Bible. <laughs> right. Read your Bible. Now, uh, his recruits were used to seeing him walk naked out of the shower sure. to give them orders. Wearing nothing but a shower cap. Yeah. Well, yeah. And would continue to continue to scrub himself with a shower brush while giving them orders. Multitasking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Lord Moran, uh, Winston Churchill's doctor? Right. He wrote in his diaries <laughs> after meeting this guy. Wingate seems to me hardly sane in <laughs> medical jargon. A borderline case. <laughs> But Churchill, yeah, 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 yeah. Churchill actually met with him once. Did you read about that? Uh, I know that he was impressed with his um, positive pro attitude about warfare. I remember that part. Uh, Max Hastings, uh, Boris Johnson's old boss, uh, said that Wingate proved a short lived protege. Closer acquaintance caused Churchill to realize that he was too mad for high command. Right. Yeah. But I did cover um, uh, him. 
early on in the World War II podcast when he's in uh, fighting the Italians in Ethiopia. And because he was so possessed of something, it inspired his men and he had a bunch of African troops and they kicked the British out. They, excuse me. They kicked the Italians out in like six weeks of British Somaliland. Then he goes to Burma. And I just love this part. There's a lot of bugs and there's a lot of diseases and you get bit by these various bugs and you can either get sick or you, or you die. His attitude was, if you have a strong enough willpower, they can bite you all you want and you won't get sick. And the army doctors were like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Please take your shots. Take your pills. Don't tell your men that ever again. Thank you very much. But he was like, oh, I can do it. Bite me, you sons of bitches. Yeah. No, I won't give yeah. in. I mean, this guy was out yeah. there. He was out there. He's like he's like one of those uh, religious snake charmers <laughs> who say, the power of Christ compels ye. Come on, the you scorpions. can't bite me. And then they bite him and they die. And they're like, oops. He's oh, in fuck. heaven. He's in heaven. Yeah. He, he was he, out there. Uh, He once contracted malaria. Right. <laughs> after telling everyone he, he wouldn't get it through willpower. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, went to a doctor to get help. Right. Um, God let and, me down. He went to a... Went to a local doctor, though, oh, shit. not the army medical staff, because he didn't want anyone to know right. that he'd actually caught malaria <laughs> after telling everyone that he was impervious to malaria. Not me! Uh, yeah, yeah. And he uh, once tried to attempt suicide by stabbing himself in the neck. Right, sure. Uh, but apart from that, you know, uh, yeah. great commander. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He had his moments. He had his moments. Yeah. So anyway, getting getting back to uh, right. him. So he, uh, with the permission of his superiors, I want to point out, yes, set up a group called the SNS, the Special Night Squads, nice. which was an elite an elite squad of British and Jewish soldiers whose right. job was to protect the oil pipeline at night from Arab ah, terrorist attacks. Right. Wingate once gave a speech to his troops where he said, the Arabs think that the night is theirs as the British troops and police shot themselves in their camps during the night. But we, the Jews, will show them that we can destroy their plans. We will not rest until a fear of the night as of the day assails them. <laughs> so he said, excuse me, you're a fucking Scotsman. You're not a Jew. I, if, Don't tell if me. If I say I'm a Jew, Larry, I'm a Jew. <laughs> and if I say the mosquitoes can't bite me, then they, they can Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jesus. But God would end up calling him home early because I think he dies before the war is over in a plane crash or something. So I guess God needed him up in heaven to help with the fights up there. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did kill a lot of Arabs with the SNS. But, yeah, then during World War II, he was killed uh, in Burma yes. where he was leading Burmese guerrillas against the Japanese. The chitter, the chitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to make a movie about this guy, man. He's uh, he was, yeah. he's a lot of fun. Crazy motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to Palestine. The British eventually got the upper hand. Uh, altogether, more than 100 Arabs were hanged by the British. <laughs> Damn. During the years of the revolt, and the Arab population were forced to carry ID cards. Mm, right. And subjected to very strict travel regulations. Uh, you know, basically, the, the British 
looked at what the Nazis were doing with the Jews in Germany and Poland and went, well, that's we like that. That's right. good. This whole forced ID cards, little armbands, uh, <clears throat> we're going to do that. That's right. good. We like, you know, you know. Efficiency. Nazis, well done. Yeah. Good. Well done. They know they're doing. Well done. Good on you. Well done, Hitler. Right. They said, you know what, we, we think this is. Nazi sexy. <laughs> All right, Hitler. Was yeah, and it was. They were like, "Love it, love it." (laughs) So, if you want something done, as they always say, want to make your country great again, get a fascist. (laughs) So, they adopted some of the fascist ideas. Right, they thought that was that was pretty good. Oh my god. I just have to say that uh, I know we're going to kind of skip over this because it's not pertinent to the story. But when the British do come in and kick ass and take names and they do turn it up to 11, one of the the parts that I thought was most gruesome, but it is war. The British would take the relative of a known rebel leader, tie them down on a flatbed, put them in front of a train and and have that person almost acting like a human a human shield in front of the train when the British were trying to get troops or supplies around. I mean, this shit got real, and and the people's spirits and their I'm sure their psyches were damaged because the British came at them hard with advanced weapons. So it was pretty intense at the end. Hard, hard, hard. You're trying to get me to say it again so you can record it. Nope, won't do it. Nope. <laughs> Already got it. Damn. Already got it. Damn. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, in 1938, there were 986 attacks uh, on British police and military targets, 651 attacks on Jewish targets, and 720 attacks on telegraph and telephone lines. Damn. Now, just like this is a very small yeah. piece of land. Yes. I mean, and all this is going on um, at the, you know, it's the British were just unable yes. to really uh, uh, take control of the situation in 1938. I mean, like, it was just all over the place. That's like, what, six is a thousand, sixteen hundred. There's over 2,000, 2,300 attacks right. in a year. Uh, 2,300 divided by 356, Ray. What is it? Quick, six and a half. Exactly. It's an average of six and a half terrorist attacks a day. Yeah. Well, you were the one that said there was like hundreds of little uh, groups of people between like eight and 15 people. And so if you take down one, so what? They might not know the names of another terrorist or a cell or whatever. And it just goes on and on. You have to literally stop each and every one. I mean, this was just complete fucking mayhem. And this is what the British have to deal with. Uh, 77 Britons and 255 Jews died in 1938, and a, they estimate around about 1,000 rebels were killed that year by both British and Jewish forces. Damn. Another 2,500 were put in jail. Mm-hmm. Aircraft also dropped thousands of propaganda leaflets over Arab villages, oh. telling them that they were the chief people suffering yeah. from the rebellion and that they were going to increase their taxes. <laughs> Uh, if if it continued, hit them where which they is hit. pretty smart. Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Leaflet drop campaigns always pretty good. Basically, threatening more and more yeah. destruction uh, if this continued. Listen, you, if you keep fighting for your freedom, <laughs> we're gonna fuck you up even more than we have already. And Just they, warning you. Right. 
and charge you more for the for the privilege. Yeah. But see, yeah. this worked so well, and we don't have to go into too many details about this, but the villagers started turning against the rebels. There was one visiting rebel commander who went to a town. I don't know if he was going to ask for help or ask for to be hidden or whatever, but the people in the town actually shot him and killed him. Uh, the rebels also made stupid political mistakes by humiliating village leaders and older men. They did stuff like that. So they really screwed up, but it got to the point where the people who weren't in the fight were suddenly coming together to to create bands just to be able to resist the rebels. I mean, the Civil War aspect of this really started taking off. Indeed. Uh, but by 1939, as I said earlier, by the middle of 1939, they'd pretty much destroyed the Arab resistance. Yeah. Um, and, of course, at that stage, it looked like there was another world war coming. Oh, shit. And the British were worried that the whole Palestine situation could turn all of the Arab nations against them in the war, in the world war. Right. Um, So all of a sudden that becomes a factor in thinking about their approach to Palestine. Uh, Yes. There was the Middle East subcommittee of the Committee of Imperial Defence, British uh, committee that Uh issued a report in January of 1939 where they said, we feel it is necessary to point out at the outset the strong feeling which exists in all Arab states in connection with British policy in Palestine. We assume that immediately on the outbreak of war, the necessary measures would be taken in order to bring about a complete appeasement of Arab opinion in Palestine and in neighbouring countries. Duh. Yeah, kiss their ass. (laughs) Yeah. Kiss their ass. Well, yeah, listen, uh, the whole Peel Commission thing, uh, no. No. We're going to give it a rethink. If the Arabs... Yeah. Yeah. If the Arabs... We we need to make the Arabs happy because we don't want them not on our side in the war. You can't take on Germany, Italy, Japan, and have a massive civil war in your backyard. It just, where the fucking oil is at, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, they're like, as much as we promise the Jews, if this gets real, we're going to have to placate the Arabs. And almost at any price, we're going to have to keep these people calm and either neutral or hopefully on our side. Yeah, and you you you, you sort of uh, mentioned oil, and we don't want to skip over that right. because this is the point, too where oil becomes a lot more important yes, in terms of the world economy and also in terms of military capabilities. So, yes, the fact that there's now a shit ton of oil coming out of the Middle East is an important factor, plus the Suez Canal. Yes, British don't want to lose that, particularly in a time of war. So uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Hitler is the best thing that's ever happened to the Arabs. I always said before he was the best thing that ever happened to the Jews. It's complicated. Best thing that ever yeah. happened to the Arabs. Yeah, yeah. Hitler was basically, Good. say what you want about Hitler. <laughs> no. <laughs> because, but, yeah. uh, you know, he he forced the, the British to take the Arab complaints a lot more seriously. Right. I mean, because I know we're going to get into this later, but the Arabs don't have a connection or tradition with the idea of democracy because their government's always been different. They don't like the way they're being treated by the French or the British. Germany comes along, starts bitch slapping people with its penis. I mean, the Arabs are like, well, maybe Germany will take care of our British problem for us. Let's see what happens. Now, the British Foreign Office uh, had always been against the Peel Commission's recommendations of partition. Mm. They thought it was never going to work. 
Oh, good old Anthony Eden, Foreign Secretary right. uh, at the time, said, bring Britain into a collision with the Arab countries and jeopardise British interests, Ooh. is what he believed the uh, Peel Commission's partition scheme would do. Right. And on December 8th, 1937, the Prime Minister at the time, Neville Chamberlain, had decided, his cabinet had decided against the Peel partition. Right. In 1938, in March of 1938, a technical committee headed by Sir John Woodhead. Right. Great name. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know why they call me Woodhead? Hey, hey, you want to guess? Let me plop it out. Right. Sir, Sir Woodhead. Yeah. Do you want to take take a guess while they call me Woodhead? Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess? I can just show you. Speed this up. I'm hitting on you. If you can't tell, ma'am, I'm hitting on you. My penis. <laughs> Sir John, my penis. <laughs> Lord penis. Yeah. I've heard but the see, name. I, Who is he? <laughs> I like the way that Neville Chamberlain's cabinet, they just can't come out and say, we're shutting the Peel Commission down. This, ha- this has to happen procedurally, which is why they appoint the technical committee to further look into it. But the point is, it's... It's on its way out, and everybody knows it, but you have to observe the niceties. So the Arabs are happy in that sense, but still they're, they're not getting their government. Uh, they're not getting the Jews, uh, the immigration to, to calm down. So the Arabs are happy, but still not happy. Yeah, but I want to explain the timeline here. So the Peel yeah. Commission report came out, I think I said, in uh, uh, what part of 1937? Like l- September 1937, I think. Peel Commission report came out and said, yeah, we, we think we should partition it. Right. Um, by December 1937, Neville Chamberlain's cabinet had pretty much decided, nah, yeah, we're no, not going to do that. Thank you, though. Yeah. But And if they just come out and said that, nah, fuck that shit, we're not doing that. Right. That whole night, all of those deaths in 1938, <sighs> those 2,500 terrorist attacks. Yeah probably may not have happened if they just come out and publicly said, nah, we don't think so. But they can't. If they, Why not? If, if they give in or if they, are, they seem to be giving in to the violence of the Palestinians, then what are all the other countries around them going to do? Hey, violence is ugly, but this shit works. This will get their British attention. We might not get everything we want, but maybe we'll get, get something and we're sick and tired of being oppressed by them. So I guess maybe the British are like, if I give in to one or if I appear to be given into one, I might be opening a Pandora's box and nobody wants that, especially 1939. That's my guess. Well, I don't know if they um, didn't agree with it because they thought it was because of the violence or because, like Anthony Eden said, yeah. it's just going to cause more problems. Right. But it's how it appears. But I see your point. So in anyway, in March of 1938, they sent uh, Sir John Big Dick down to... <laughs> uh, his stated purpose was to... Ascertain facts and consider in detail the oh. practical possibilities of a scheme of partition. Nice. You know what? You know what we need after the committee. We just had a committee. What we need is another committee to look at the recommendations of the committee. Technical committee. It's different. But apparently, the real intention was to kill right. the idea of the partition. Sorry, yeah, uh, this new committee. Yeah. 
the the the, the big boner wood woodhead <laughs> boner committee is is rejected the uh, Peel committee's yes. committee report based on the earlier committee. It's committees oh, all the way down. Damn. Now, uh, Colonel Colonial Secretary Ormsby Gord. Gore, sorry, let me start that again. Colonial Secretary Ormsby Gore, at this stage, he'd once been a uh, supporter of Zionism. Right. And if you have a look at him, if you look at his photo, it looks very much like uh, the guy in Magnum P.I. who was uh, running the estate where Magnum was living. Right. What was his name? (laughs) Oh, wasn't Smither... Um, I... It's gone. Come on. Come on. Higgins. Higgins. Oh, Higgins. Higgins. Love that mustache. That was hot. William Ormsby Gore looks a lot like Higgins. Uh, Yeah, he he basically started to lose faith in the whole Zionist thing. Yeah. In May uh, May 1938, he was due to retire from office. And he later wrote, the Arabs are treacherous and untrustworthy. <laughs> God damn. The Jews, greedy, <laughs> and when freed from persecution, aggressive. Fuck. The Arabs cannot be trusted to govern the Jews any more than the Jews can be trusted to govern the Arabs. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, little, he was little uh, deeply dis- yeah. deeply disappointed that the whole Zionist thing didn't uh, didn't go well right. like he had hoped it would. By the way, uh, he was also an author, very interested in the Renaissance. Wrote huh? uh, a number of books, including Florentine sculptors of the fifteenth century. Oh, cool! We should have had him on the show, but it's too late now. And uh, his the coat of arms of the Ormsby Gore family. Right. He was the fourth Baron Harleck. <laughs> uh, the coat of arms. The motto is "In hoc signo vinces." Something about cheese. <laughs> Under this sign, thou shalt conquer. You know where oh, that's from? Oh yeah, you from uh, outside of Rome, Constantine something. Yeah, the yeah. Battle of Milvian Bridge. Yeah. Constantine. What was? Yeah. Sir John Woodhead's uh, family crest, would you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) Just a big penis. This is my penis. It's just a big penis. Hey, hey. Step back, make way for the penis. (laughs) Anyway. Sorry. So, So... Anyway. So they've gone through all this and nothing's happened. There's been no improvements. Go ahead. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can move off my penis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Commissioner Thomas Reed at one point told a Jewish agency executive that Zionism was not a wise movement for the Jews to foster. He said it was basically the same nationalism that the British objected to in Hitler. He said the solution to the Jewish problem should be that adopted by the Bolsheviks, assimilation. Ooh. Stop trying to get your own land right. for your own people. That's but, basically what the Nazis are doing. Yeah. 
just assimilate, just assimilate. But uh, that hadn't really worked no, out for them. No, it's certainly not working out in Nazi Germany for them. So, the foreign the foreign office had written around about this time. The Jews have waited two thousand years for their home. They can afford to wait a bit until after we're better able to help them get their last pound of flesh. Now, that's not wrong, but Ben Gurion doesn't want to wait. Everything for him, every decision, every act, everything that he sees in the reads in the newspaper or whatever, it's all about statehood. I mean, he's not going to wait. And he's a force to be reckoned with. So the uh, Big Boner Commission uh, <laughs> published its report, November of 1938, and it came out at the same time as a government white paper, and they both rejected the partition idea. Right. So that's now gone. Well, the yeah, the commission actually had a different partition scheme. Um, on the surface of it, it said, "Look, uh, the Galilee region, which was going to go to the Jews, um, is now going to stay with the British. The Galilee, including Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Jaffa, and the Negev, were going to remain under British rule." There would be uh, a very small Jewish state, a minuscule mm-hmm. Jewish state, stretching from Tel Aviv on the coast down to Zichron Yachov, and an Arab state about six times as large, which would make up the majority of the Sumerian and Judean hill country as well as the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. So they they came up with that plan, but the government uh, issued a white paper rejecting par, uh, partition outright. Right. Anyway, so they they pulled together this conference in London in early 1939, invited all of the parties as well as neighbouring Arab states to come and discuss the oh, different good. options. Yeah, but that was never gonna that was never gonna work. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and while while the conference is going on, by the way, Germany annexed part of Czechoslovakia. Yes. And Hitler was using the suppression of the Arabs to score propaganda points. He said that Palestine is having its liberty restricted. Sorry, I have to do my Hitler here. (laughs) Palestine is having its liberty restricted by the most brutal resort. The force is being robbed of its independence and is suffering the cruelest maltreatment for the benefit of the Jewish interlopers. Oh, God, I need a drink. And Cam's done for the day. He's oh my not, God! How did he keep that up? He's not, he's not wrong, but he's the one who just took the rest of uh, Czechoslovakia. So. The pot calling the kettle black. I don't know. Well, that's because they were oppressing the Germans, right? He was just doing it to mm. save the Germans. It was for mm. peace and freedom. Mm, yeah, he, well. he, like they forced him to do that <laughs> because By they were beating up on the Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, he went on to say, "Oh God, oh, really? please! <laughs> you got yeah, an interview tonight. Yeah, Take it easy. You got an interview tonight. We are now compelled. <laughs> Fuck me." To consider the Palestine problem, mainly from the point of view of its effect on the international situation. If we must defend one side, 
Let us avenge the Jews rather than the Arabs. <laughs> oh, shit, no, that was Chamberlain who gave that speech, <laughs> not Hitler. Same thing. He was an appeaser. Same thing. <laughs> Chamberlain said, let's offend the Jews rather than the Arabs if right. we have to offend somebody. Yeah. I mean, millions of Arabs, millions of uh, Muslims, tens of thousands of Jews. Come on. I mean, look, Hitler and Chamberlain didn't agree on everything. <laughs> no. But when it came to the Jews... They certainly spoke uh, differently. Pretty, yeah, like, yeah, yeah the Jews... <laughs> thank God, I wish I... <laughs> I hope I don't have to do any more Hitler speeches Please. in this episode. <clears throat> so the British, in this, uh, this, this conference, the British offered to restrict yes. Jewish immigration to 75,000 over the next five years. All right. And the Zionists lost their fucking <laughs> shit. <laughs> And after that five years, all immigration would require Arab agreement. Oh, my God, have the Arabs won? But you're right. The Zionists completely fall down. They're like, "What? We've, we're about to lose everything we've been working for for the last couple of decades. Well, that's all we've got time for right. this episode. Uh, Ray, we're yes. over time. We'll be back next week, kids, with uh, more of the Choo Choo Train. <laughs> Always be closing. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Fuck you! That's my name! <laughs> leads are weak. Fucking leads are weak. 